This past summer, uh, my family and I, one of our special times is when we have the opportunity to go to our family's uh, cabin up in northern Wisconsin. And uh, one Saturday afternoon, we were on our way home. We had a busy Sunday ahead of me the next morning, and so I was kind of rushing to get home and uh, maybe driving a, a tad bit faster than I should have been. Uh, we went through the, the town of Shell Lake, and you know there was lots of traffic, and we got slowed down, and I was just getting more and more anxious. I just wanted to, to get home and get ready for the next morning. And so as soon as we got through Shell Lake, uh, a clearing opened up in the traffic ahead of me, and you know as soon as the speed limit went from 30 to 45, uh, I hit the gas and put, put it on the pe- you know put the pedal to the metal, and I started heading down. And uh, about 200 yards went by, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and sure enough, I see these lights blazing behind me. And it was a Wisconsin State Patrol car. And uh, I looked at my speedometer, and sure enough, I was going about 10 miles over the speed limit. And uh, right away, I mean, right away, I just got this knot in my stomach, right? I, I knew that I had done something wrong, and I was busted. <laughs> Have you ever felt that, that knot in your stomach? When you know you've done something wrong and you've been caught and you just know that, that judgment's coming, punishment is coming. That's not, a, that's not a very pleasant experience. In fact, maybe some of you are, are living with that very sensation this morning where you have uh, been caught recently doing something you weren't supposed to be doing and, and you know that uh, trouble's coming. It's not, it's not a pleasant feeling when you're awaiting imminent penalty or punishment. And the book we're going to be studying over the next seven weeks, the book of Micah, is one of those sections of Scripture that can arouse this same sensation in us. That, that feeling of something just, oh man, I, I just have fallen short and maybe didn't do what I was supposed to do. Micah contains some of the Bible's most inspiring and uplifting passages. But at the same time, we're also going to find that, that Micah is a book that can provoke some discomfort in us. In fact, it, it would have certainly provoked discomfort in Micah's original audience. See, the, the prophet Micah was sent to the people of Israel as a messenger of judgment from God. And Micah's message to the people of Israel was essentially this. God's patience has worn thin. And he can no longer tolerate the stench of your rebellion. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Friends, as we're going to discover the book of Micah, it's not always an easy book to read. It's hard to understand sometimes because of the prophetic nature of it, dealing with future events. But it's also not an easy book to read because at its core, Micah reveals some realities to us about the nature of God and about the nature of us, men and women, and and realities that we don't typically like to dwell on. You see, Micah is going to remind us that, that God is holy. He is righteous. And he demands justice when we rebel against him. But more than that, Micah is also going to make clear that all of us here today, all of us, you and I, are rebels at heart. We are guilty of failing to honor God and his righteous standards. And our guilt demands justice. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of news I want to hear. 
But the reality is, sometimes the tough news is exactly what we need to hear. Because even though it's tough, it's true. And it's in facing the truth that we can be moved to correction. And as we're going to see as we journey through the book of Micah in the coming weeks, that's really God's ultimate goal for his people. God desires that his people move from rebellion to restoration. That's what he wanted for the nation of Israel. And friends, that's God's goal for you and I as well. Are you living in rebellion against God today? Is there an area of your life where you've fallen short of God's righteous standards? Is there something in your life where you know you're not walking in consistency with God's will for you? Well, friends, if that's where you are today, then the book of Micah is a great book for us to study. Because God wants to move you from that place of rebellion to a place of restoration walking in faithfulness and holiness and love with him again. And so this is going to be our goal as we study the book of Micah, to allow God to challenge us, to to sometimes provoke us with that uncomfortable feeling in our stomach, but all with the purpose of knowing that our loving Heavenly Father wants to restore us back into a right relationship with him. Well, this morning we're going to start our series looking at Micah chapter 1. 16 verses, verses 1 through 16 of Micah chapter 1. And I want to begin by reading the passage for us, and then we're going to come back and and talk about it together this morning. Uh, I just want to let you know that over the course of the next seven weeks, I'm going to be preaching from a different translation than I normally use. Uh, I'm going to be using the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB translation. Uh, Over the coming months, I have a goal of preaching through a variety of Bible translations, Uh, The translation that we've historically used here at Lakes Free is no longer being published, the the NIV 1984 edition. And so myself and our elders, we're looking into the possibility of exploring uh, some different translations for our church to use. And so uh, we're going to be preaching through a variety of them in the coming months to uh, to really feel uh, how they preach, how they teach, how they read, so that we can use the best possible translation in communicating God's truth to his people here. So if you're interested and you want to get a copy, I'll be in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, the, uh, the next two months in the book of Micah. Let's read this passage together, Micah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite, what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, all you peoples, pay attention, earth and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him, and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. All this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard, 
I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire, and I will destroy all her idols. Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. Because of this, I will lament and wail. I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has reached even Judah. It has approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. Don't announce it in Gath. Don't weep at all. Roll in the dust in Beth Lepra. Depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shafir. The residents of Zanan will not come out. Beth Ezel is lamenting. Its support is taken from you. Though the residents of Meroth anxiously wait for something good, disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the horses to the chariot, you residents of Lachish. This was the beginning of sin for daughter Zion, because Israel's acts of rebellion can be traced to you. Therefore, send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Oxib are a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror against you who live in Marisha. The nobility of Israel will come to Adullam. Shave yourselves bald and cut off your hair in sorrow for your precious children. Make yourselves as bald as an eagle, for they have been taken from you into exile. Not exactly an easy passage, is it? It's a difficult passage because obviously the message itself is is a tough message. It's a message of judgment. It's a message of doom. But, but it's also difficult because there, there's all this material here, there's all these places and cities mentioned, and it's, it's hard for us to understand what's going on. And so this morning, to, to help us understand our passage and really the book of Micah as a whole, what I want to do is I want to explore three key concepts this morning. Three key concepts. We're going to look at context, covenant, and correction. So if you're taking notes, you can write those down. Three words, they all start with C, context, covenant, and correction. And we need to understand each of these three ideas in order to recognize what's going on in the book of Micah so that we can properly apply its truth to our lives as well. So how do we understand this this passage, this message in the book of Micah? Well, let's begin by looking at the context. Now, I think the number one frustration for people when they read the Bible is that they often simply don't understand what's going on. Can can any of you relate to that? I I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever, you know, intended to start out reading your Bible? Maybe you made a New Year's resolution, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And you don't really know where to begin, and so you just pick a random book. And, you know, some people would say, well, you know, I I got a cousin named Micah. Maybe I'll start there. And they open up the book of Micah, and they read 10 verses in, and all of a sudden they're reading all these crazy city names, and it doesn't make any sense. And pretty soon you're just kind of, like, discouraged. What's the point? You shut your Bible, and you don't go back to it because you don't understand what it means. Has anybody ever had that experience before? I bet a few of you, right? I know I have. All right? The reason we have those frustrations is because we don't understand the big picture. We don't understand the context, what's going on. And and this is where a solid understanding of the background and the setting of the passage, the story, can make all the difference in the world. What, What is context? Context is simply the background and setting in which a story takes place. And without 
context, it's easy to get lost. I remember a couple years ago, I took my daughter Addie to to see the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, right? Now, here's Addie, 10-year-old girl. I've grown up with Star Wars, right? I've seen all the movies, but I was excited to, you know, get my kids exposed to these movies that I've loved since I was a little kid. So I took her to see The Force Awakens, and, and she was entertained. She enjoyed it, but all throughout the movie, she was like, Dad, who's Han Solo? Why is everybody so sad that he died? Uh, what, what's the big deal with this Death Star thing, right? Like, she liked it, but she didn't understand any of it because she didn't know the context. She didn't realize that the story fell within a bigger, larger story. And it's the same thing for us when we go to the Bible. We need to understand the background, the setting in which books like Micah find themselves so that we can better appreciate them. And so what is the context of the book of Micah? Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to look briefly at at the when, the where, the what, and the who of the book of Micah so that we can understand what it is we're studying over the next seven weeks. Let's take a look at the when, for example. I put a timeline together for you this week. When is all of this happening in the history of the nation of Israel? All right? So on the timeline here, you can see, you know, you've got creation. Then you have Abraham, Moses, the period of the judges, King David, about 1,000 B.C., before Christ. After King David, David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon didn't honor God like his father David. Solomon embraced many wives. He, He was a polygamist. He had all kinds of wives from foreign nations, and he embraced their gods, and he worshiped their gods. And so as a judgment against Solomon, God split the kingdom of Israel. He split the kingdom of Israel into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Now, there were prophets that God sent to both of these kingdoms. But we're going to be focusing on the prophet Micah, who was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, he also spoke prophecy, prophetic words against Israel, but he was primarily ministering in the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah lived from 750 to 686 B.C. If any of you are taking Pastor Stephen and Pastor Rick's uh, January class in the book of Habakkuk, Micah is about 100 years before Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is ministering right before the exile of the Judean people to Babylon. Micah's a little bit before him foretelling the coming judgment that Habakkuk and the people of Judah were going to be experiencing in the near future. So the people of Israel would ultimately go into exile. Micah's going to prophesy a lot of that. We're going to read in the coming weeks. But God had promised that he would ultimately restore them bring them back to the promised land, and set up his throne again in Israel, in Jerusalem, and that from Jerusalem and from the the land of Judah, the Messiah would ultimately come, Jesus Christ. And and that's what we just celebrated, obviously, at Christmas time, the arrival of the Messiah. So so this kind of helps us understand the big picture of, of where Micah fits in the scope of biblical history. Now, interestingly, what else in the world was going on at this time? You can see here on the the bottom, the the first Olympic Games were held in Greece just a little bit before the prophet Micah's time. During Micah's lifetime, Homer was writing his epic works, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, In China, 700 BC, the the Great Wall of China was beginning to be built. It's kind of interesting to realize that the storyline of the Bible fits within God's larger storyline of what was going on throughout the rest of the world. Okay? 
Now, this is, the, this is the when. Now, how about the where? On this next map, you see a picture of the divided kingdoms. So you had the kingdom of Israel to the north, the kingdom of Judah to the south. And again, Micah was ministering in the southern kingdom of Judah. But he's going to be prophesying against both Israel and Judah. And what Micah was prophesying on this next slide was the coming judgment that God was going to invoke on his people, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. God would use the Assyrian Empire first to come and wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel, they were, they were totally wicked. They had totally fallen into idolatry. They didn't have any good godly kings in the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah had a little bit more of a mixed bag. Sometimes they were faithful, sometimes they were disobedient. They had good kings, they had bad kings, but ultimately God was going to come in judgment against them as well. And so today, when we, talk, when we read these stories in Micah of all these cities that, that Micah talks about, these cities facing God's judgment, this was all happening in Micah's lifetime or shortly after Micah's lifetime as the Assyrian Empire was marching through Israel, ultimately down into Judah in conquest over these people as a result of God's judgment. In Micah chapter 1, which we just read, in verses 10 through 15, we read about these 11 different cities, all right? And we get to this passage, and it just sounds like a bunch of random cities that are being mentioned. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But what you need to understand is these cities that Micah mentions here in this section are all found in this blue circle region around Jerusalem. These are all cities that were going to come under God's judgment, first through the Assyrians and then ultimately through the Babylonians. In fact, when Micah says, your wound is incurable, it has come to the very gates of Jerusalem, what he's talking about is the siege of Sennacherib in 701 BC. Sennacherib of Assyria came all the way to Jerusalem and laid siege to Jerusalem. And it was only because of God's special protection over Isaiah and King Hezekiah that he wiped out through the angel of the Lord. He wiped out the army of Assyria and forced Sennacherib to flee. But God had brought judgment to the very gates of Jerusalem. And a little more than a hundred years later, the Babylonians would come and take the Israelites into exile. When Micah uses these, talks about these different cities that we read, all right. What you need to understand is in the original Hebrew, what Micah is doing there is he's using a play on words. He's using a series of puns that in our English language, we just read city names and, and these descriptions of what's going to happen to them. But in the Hebrew, these were actually very clever puns. It was a literary device that Micah used to convey the urgency of what was going to take place to these cities in Judah. For example, he, he mentions Beth Lepra. Beth Lepra in Hebrew means the house of dust. And in Hebrew, when the Hebrews heard Micah's prophecy, they read that as, hey, Beth Lepra, the house of dust, you're going to roll in the dust. When Micah mentions Shafir, the town of Shafir, that name means beautiful or pleasant. Micah says, Shafir, hey, you're known for your beauty. You're going to run away in shame and nakedness. When, when Micah mentions Marisha, Marisheth, the word Marisha means conqueror. Micah says, Marisha, you yourself are going to be conquered. If this was something that was being prophesied in English, it would be like Micah saying to the city of Los Angeles, hey, Los Angeles, you're no city of angels. Hey, Las Vegas, your luck's run out. Hey, Wisconsin, you should pronounce your name Wisconsin's. Wisconsin's. 
And Minnesota, I'm going to make you Minnesota. That's how the Hebrews would have heard these city names being read through Micah's prophecies. Now, with this better understanding of the context that we're reading here in chapter 1, we can now hopefully better appreciate some of the themes and teachings that we find here in the book of Micah. And today what I want to do is I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at two major themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Micah. The the themes of covenant and correction. Covenant and correction. Let's talk about covenant for a moment. Point number two. Our passage this morning opens up with some troubling words of impending judgment for God's people. And why was God's judgment coming? God's judgment was coming because his people had betrayed their covenant with him. And what exactly is a covenant? Well, friends, a covenant in in its simplest terms is a binding agreement between two parties. In, In today's language, we'd more commonly use the word contract. And when we study the scriptures, what we find is that earlier in the Old Testament, God had entered into a covenant or or a contract with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, shortly after he had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. God had promised the Israelites that he would protect and care for them, that he would be their shepherd and their provider. And in exchange, God told Israel, I want you to be loyal and obedient to me, and I want you to worship me alone. I'm your God exclusively. And God made clear to the people of Israel that as long as they upheld their portion of the covenant, that God would preserve them, he would protect them, he would defend them, and he would bless them. But as we study the book of Micah, what we're going to find is that Israel had broken their covenant with God. They had broken their covenant. They had been unfaithful, and they had done so in three primary ways. They had committed adultery. They were guilty of injustice. And their leaders had committed insubordination. And we're going to see God bring his judgment against them in the coming weeks. Today in chapter 1, God is judging the people for their idolatry. Next week in chapter 2, God is going to judge the people for the injustice, for the abuse of the poor, for the exploitation of one another, for their their bribery and their extortion. In chapter 3, we're going to see God come against the leaders of Israel in judgment, the political leaders and the spiritual leaders, because they had committed insubordination against him. They hadn't followed his teachings and his will for them. Instead, they were leading the people astray. And so for all of these reasons, they had broken their covenant, and God was going to judge them for it. Now here in chapter 1, Micah is really concerned with Israel's unfaithfulness to God through their embrace of idolatry. And what is idolatry? Well, friends, idolatry is committing spiritual adultery against God. It's worshiping and trusting in other gods. It's forsaking the one true God, Yahweh of Israel, for the worship of lesser gods. And this is what Israel and Judah had done. They had forsaken their covenant with Yahweh, our creator God, and instead they had fallen into the worship of pagan gods, gods of the nations around them. 
This is what our passage today is referring to in verses 5 through 7. Why is God coming in judgment? Micah says all of this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? Samaria was the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. They had a false temple set up there where they worshipped Baal and Asherah, the god of the sun, the god of the moon. They engaged in all of these cultic practices, child sacrifice, ritual cult prostitution, all of these things that God abhorred. And so God says, I'm coming in judgment against you. He, he goes on, he's going, I'm going to make Samaria a heap of ruins. I will expose her foundations, all her carved images, all her idols, her totem poles. They're all going to be smashed to pieces and burned in the fire. She says, I will destroy all of her idols, her wages, Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. What's that talking about? It's talking about the the pagan sex rituals that that would take place at these temples. The people of Israel would go to these temples and they had cultic prostitutes that they would pay to gain favor with the gods Baal and Asherah. And they would engage in these pagan sex acts for money And God's saying, I'm going to judge you and the wages that you paid to those prostitutes, when the Assyrians come in judgment, their soldiers are going to steal those wages and use them on their own prostitutes. That's what God's talking about. Judgment was coming for their idolatry. Now, I want us to explore this idea of idolatry a bit more today because, friends, it's not just the people of Israel thousands of years ago who are susceptible to this kind of spiritual idolatry this adultery against God. But, but really, idolatry is still a very real temptation for all of us, even today. And, and to understand the nature and seriousness of idolatry, we need to first understand and unpack the meaning of a particular word in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew word for glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kebad, kebad. And it literally means weight. It means weight. So when we worship something or when we give something glory, what it means is we are giving it a place of weightiness in our lives. We're we're saying that this is something I can believe in. This is something I can put my hope in. This is something worthy of my time and energy and devotion. And friends, God says that kind of glory should be reserved for him alone. So you need to understand this this morning. Idolatry is simply attributing glory or weightiness to something other than God. It's applying worthiness or glory to created things rather than the creator. And friends, our world today is full of idols that vie for a place of weightiness in our lives. Money, sex, Power, fame, security, success, sports, politics, family, good deeds, and on and on we could go. Understand this today, friends. Literally anything, even good things, can become an idol when we give them more weight or glory than God. And here's the lie behind idolatry. These idols... These little gods that promise freedom and security and pleasure, they never deliver. Instead, idolatry always leads to bondage and insecurity 
and grief. This past week, I came across a story in the news of these flash floods that were taking place down in Australia. One man caught this picture in his backyard as this river in his backyard was rising. It was a picture of these cane toads in Australia fleeing the floodwaters on the back of a python. And I thought, what a great picture of idolatry. Friends, this is what idolatry is. Idolatry says, oh, you need to get away. You need rescue. You need security. You need peace. You want pleasure. You want joy. Well, hop on. Hop on. I'll take you there. And all the while, you're riding on the back of a predator that wants to kill you. That's the lie of idolatry. The false idols of our world that we give weight and glory and worthiness over God, they ultimately will lead to your destruction. Jesus said in John 10.10 that a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Friends, that's Satan's agenda. And he doesn't care how he does it. If If he gets you to fall prey to false idols in your life, pleasure, success, money, popularity, a relationship, whatever it might be, if he gets you to place your weight and glory on anything other than God, he is happy because he knows that that idol will steal your joy, it will kill your hope, and it will ultimately destroy your soul if you ride it long enough. This is the lie behind idolatry. See, friends, you're never going to find true joy and satisfaction living in rebellion against God. Trusting in idols only leads to heartache and judgment. And this leads me to point number three this morning. It was because of Israel's idolatry, their spiritual adultery against God, that God was coming in judgment against them. God would bring correction. Now, oftentimes, one of the hardest concepts for people to grasp when they come to the Bible is the reality of God's judgment. You know, it's easy to embrace the idea that God's a God of love and he's a God of grace. But how are we to reconcile those truths with the realities of of the message that we read here in Micah chapter 1 and other places in the Bible, these messages of judgment, messages of exile? Well, friends, what we need to remember, as I said earlier, is that God's goal for all of us is to move his people from rebellion to restoration. And friends, that's why God disciplines us. He does so for the sake of correction. He doesn't discipline us out of anger or a petty jealousy, but he disciplines us out of a righteousness and a perfect love, a righteous love that's concerned for our ultimate well-being. It's like some family friends of mine a few years ago, they had a teenage son who was living in rebellion. He was doing drugs. He was was going downtown Minneapolis, St. Paul, and, and tagging, doing graffiti. He was getting arrested by the cops. And these parents were at their wit's end trying to control this rebellious kid. What did they end up doing? They had to take his car away. They they took his cell phone away. When he ran away from home, they, they tracked him down and they sent him off to a boy's ranch to, to get him clean of drugs and to rehabilitate him. They, they took desperate measures because they cared so much about this kid. They loved him so much that they didn't want to see him throwing his life away. And friends, in the same way, 
what we see here in the book of Micah is that God often uses rebuke to bring about restoration. And he does it because he loves us. Because he knows what's best for us. Friends, the the God of the Old Testament is the same God we see in the New Testament. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the Old Testament God is all judgment and holiness and righteousness. Then we get to the New Testament. It's all grace and love. Friends, it's the same God. Look what Hebrews 12 tells us in the New Testament. Hebrews 12, 5 through 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, friends, in the book of Micah, God tells his people that judgment is coming. And the reason judgment is coming against his people is because God desires to ultimately rescue them from their idolatry and rebellion. And why does he do this? Because he knows their idols will destroy them. There could be no rescue for Israel if God didn't first remove the objects of their rebellion. And he would do that through judgment and exile. As we saw earlier, pursuing false gods always leads to misery. They cannot satisfy in this life. And if you put your hope in false gods over your creator, if you give the false idols of this world weight and glory over God, friends, they will destroy you and possibly for all of eternity. But God loves you so much that sometimes he is willing to bring correction into your life to rescue you from your stupidity. Friends, that's what it is. It's stupidity. Pursuing the idols of the world, giving them weightiness and glory over God. Maybe you find yourself in a season of correction today. Maybe you're in the midst of a challenging period in your life. And friends, could it be that maybe God is using this season of trial to restore you from a place of rebellion to bring you back into restoration with him? Now now understand this. Not every trial that comes into our lives is about God bringing discipline against us. Sometimes our trials are just the result of the reality of living in a fallen world, right? But at the same time, sometimes God does discipline us to correct us, to bring us back in alignment with his will. And how do you know the difference? Well, friends, you've got to go to God's word. You have to study his truth. You need to pray and ask God, am I falling short anywhere in my life, Lord, of how you'd want me to be living? And friends, if you find yourselves living in rebellion against God, 
The only answer is to repent and turn back to him, to renounce those idols. See, Scripture's clear. Real life and real hope is only found in a committed relationship with the one true God of the universe, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And this is what we're going to see as we continue our journey through the book of Micah in the coming weeks. Friends, the name Micah literally means who is like our God. Who is like our God? There's no one like our God. There's no one who has his sovereignty. There's no one as righteous. And there's no one as gracious and merciful as our God. And friends, the good news of the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel, is that God loved us so much that he wanted to free us and rescue us from our bondage to idolatry. He didn't want to leave us in exile, but he came to provide life and life eternal. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, if you're living in rebellion against God today, you can renounce those idols. You can repent of your idolatry. You can turn back to the God of grace who loves you, and he will restore you and make you whole again. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Micah. We thank you, Lord, even for challenging passages of Scripture like this. Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to be confronted with the reality of sin and judgment. But God, we know you are gracious. We know you are faithful. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, help us to walk in faithfulness with your will. Confront us, Lord, where necessary. Expose those idols in our lives. Lord, if we're experiencing a period of judgment today in our own lives, correction from you out of your love for us, may we submit to that correction in humility and turn back to you. May we experience your grace, Lord, as we seek your forgiveness, because you are also a God of grace and mercy. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray, God, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to your truth more and more in the coming weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to leave you with these words today from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen. And God bless you.